Good afternoon, and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Do you want to help make the world a better place but don't know where to start? Join us as we explore the possibilities on today's show with inspiring guests, uplifting music, and new ideas. So, let's get started. Here are your hosts, Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead. Welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. I'm your host, Mark Olmstead. And I'm Lorianne Rising. With so much strife and division in our nation, one couple is looking at ways Americans can reconnect and explore what loving each other really means. Scott Burns is a published writer and teacher with an MFA in creative nonfiction. He's also a songwriter, a musician, a vocalist, and he's produced a theme song and internal music for Tales from the Heart of America. He has worked as a florist, a traffic signal repairman, a truck driver, a blackjack dealer, and a Renaissance Festival swordsman. (laughs) Of course, I love this. At home in the Black Hills of South Dakota, he leads tours and tells stories of Deadwood history and the life of Wild Bill Hickok. Welcome, Welcome, Scott. Scott. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What a life. (laughs) Thank you. You should make a TV show out of of a life like that. After that litany, it sounds it all sounds like a euphemistic way of saying, here's a man who can't hold down a job. <laughs> <laughs> or hey, at least you're picking some interesting ones. That's some that's see, some see I was variety. I was actually <clears throat> thinking it's more like here's a man who doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up, which makes him really, really interesting. Yeah, well, hey, and why grow up? That's, that's <laughs> there the, you go. That's that's the key point. <laughs> Oh, hey, we're, we're going to have Peter Pan in common there then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love well, it. My hero already. This is, this is so perfect. Well, well, well we, we had a bit of a chance to watch some of the promo video that, that you guys have shot. Yeah, you and Tony program. are doing amazing work together on the road. Uh, and I know she's not feeling well today. Uh, she was going to join us. She'll be with us another time. I know it's a project you were both working on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for those of us who, ha- uh, our audience who hasn't had the chance to see those promo videos, tell us a little bit about that Love in America project you guys are working on. <laughs> well, um, we actually started in, uh, I'm not sure how far the backstory you want. So stop me if I go into too much detail or tell too many stories, because it's kind of what we do. Well, I was born in, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> you know, we started six, I guess, six or seven years ago. We, Tony and I have been together in Colorado music business. We were Renaissance Festival performers together. Um, she backed me through all of my studies and my teaching. And, and, you know, we've pretty much lived a parallel life for over 40 years. We've known each other since junior high. And especially as you know, our years have, shall we say, advanced um, where people were commonly coming to us in all these different situations and asking us for this big secret, you know, what's your secret? As if we were somehow, you know, we're old, so we're gurus now, and we can tell people the secret to life, the universe, and happiness forever. Uh, well, obviously, we didn't have that. Um, but our travels across the United States, we're, we've been avid motorcycle tourists for many years. And our travels across the United States, we realized we knew who had the answer to to those questions. You know, what is love? What does it mean today? How do people make it work? And we decided, let's go ask America. And so 2015, we hit the road on our first journey. And we traveled 35 states and about 
I think it's about 20, 22,000 miles that first year. Um, asking people, you know, simple questions like, what is love? Oh, yeah. Start with the easy ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we wanted to find out because, you know, the face of America is changing and that's no secret to anyone. Um, and as we evolve and as we change, we wanted to know how, what's the human geography question behind this? How, how is the play, how are the places that people are from affecting their loves? What, how is love evolving along with the country? You know, it's, um, it's become sometimes a difficult thing to look at America. And I say, I love this country. I love everything about it. When we see so many obvious flaws. And yet it still is a place where these remarkable stories, diverse stories from hundreds of different cultures around the United States are happening. And we wanted to go to as many of those different cultures and places and, and, and find those diverse stories and start answering those questions. And frankly, when we started out, we were pretty naive. Um, because we started out asking the question that we were receiving, you know, what's your secret? Well, we quickly found out, in fact, one of our first interviews and it was with a couple in Roswell, New Mexico, named Rick and Mary Hale. And Rick and Mary Hale are a pastor and a music director, um, fairly wealthy, and uh, they build megachurches. This is their thing. And uh, I'll tell you a comparative story with them a little later, but um, we asked that story of them sitting on in our biker leathers, sitting on the church steps with them in their finery and the blue velvet carpet, the band equipment behind them, you know, in this multi-million dollar mega church. And they were super gracious to us. And we asked them that question. We said, you know, what's the secret to your, to your life and this relationship and making it work today? And Pastor Hale looked at us and he said, there's no secret to love. You be kind to each other and you do it for a really long time. And we thought, okay, now that question's answered. <laughs> we need to start asking some better questions. So we started asking people, you know, what do you think is, is there an afterlife for love? What do you think happens to love after the two of you are no longer here? Um, what is love? How does it change over time? And the most contentious question of all, what's the greatest love song? Oh, oh there you go. That there's a whole show. How how many episodes do you have on just answering that question? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't we have um one montage video that I'm going to re-edit and put it up on our um up on the website soon. We're going to be moving from YouTube over to Vimeo soon. Um, and as we release those, you'll be able to see, you know, answers from people, many different demographics, age groups, backgrounds, lifestyles all over the U.S. answering that question. And that question in particular, you know, what what is love? Or when we first started asking, we, we found a lot of synonyms. People were looking for another word to describe it. Um, you know, love is hope, love is communication, love is togetherness, love is forgiveness. And yet none of those things, those were all, they wanted to make them synonymous, but none of them really captured what love was. And last, the last journey we were out, we started on the Rosebud Reservation here in South Dakota, and we interviewed a fellow by the name of Greg Graycloud, and his, his organization is called Wicha Ugly. And what Greg is doing is he's taking men, Lakota men on the reservation who've been court remanded for domestic violence and reteaching them to love by pairing them with abused horses, which was a profound story. Um, you know, the, the rate of, of missing and, and, and murdered women on the reservations 
um, is, an un, is an unspoken tragedy in this country and the rates of domestic violence are huge. So this work that he's doing is deeply rooted and based in love. You know, oftentimes when we tell people we're love story hunters, we tell love stories, they think it's couple stories. And oftentimes it is, but Greg's love is, is reaching out and trying to heal a cultural wound with Lakota men by pairing them with these horses. But we also ask Greg, one of the things we want to know from all these cultures around the U.S. is when we run into multilingual people, we want to know how do you say love or I love you in your language. And when we asked Greg Graycloud, we discovered that there is no single Lakota word for love. There's no word that means love in Lakota. They have terms, much like the Greeks describe eros and philia and agape and storge, the different kinds of love. In most, most people in the United States, if we say you, you, they can't describe love because, you know, past one of the other pastors we talked to said, well, I love ice cream and I love my wife, but they're not the same thing. And so when we asked Greg, well, how do you express love then? He gave us half a dozen different terms that mean the, the longing to make someone part of your family or the feeling of connection that you have with the life that's around you. The different manifestations of love the Lakota have managed to express. So none of us are sitting around wondering, well, what do you mean when you say love? And so that question, what is love around the United States? has given us insights, not in, only into individual people's stories and concepts of what they think love is, but the sort of cultural aspects behind, well, how do you, you know, we're big on intention, how and why do things happen? It's given us some insight into, you know, the cultural definitions of love and how those have evolved over time and how they're continuing to evolve today. Wow. Oh my goodness. So you're, you're writing your own book. Sorry, former teacher, long answers to everything. <laughs> no, no, that, that, I'm serious. That was so incredibly cool. You, you, you've got all this into a book that you're putting together that, that, that can, oh, I, I would just absolutely love to, to have a, a, a list of all of those definitions or descriptions of the Lakota versions of love. I mean, so have you, and how, how, I guess, and how successful have you two been in incorporating these into your relationship or has, has what you've been learning made a difference between you and Tony? Oh, uh, worlds of difference. I, th I think because, as I said, we, we started out, you know, we were in our early 50s, I guess, when we started out. We're in our late 50s now. Um, and after, you know, 40 years, almost 40 years together, we thought that our relationship had matured and, you know, that there's a certain sense of, of complacent wisdom that you get just because you've been on so many rotations of the earth. And we discovered we we oftentimes, as the first couple of years of the project went by, people were asking us for advice. They thought we offered relationship advice or insights into love. And, and we've learned to tell people we can't do that uh, because one of the things we've learned is love is exceptional. For every rule, for every adage that we've heard from people, never go to bed angry, um, communication is the key, you have to love yourself first. All these things that people assume are true about love, we found at least one exception around the country. And so I, in seeing that love was exceptional, it made it okay to see all the flaws in our own relationship and to accept those and to do something really key in finding happiness today. And that's not comparing yourselves or your relationship to anyone else. 
because since every relationship is exceptional, every relationship is unique. It also meant that we had to relocate ourselves. So there was a physical, you know, a physical geographic change that happened for us moving from Colorado to South Dakota because of the cost of living. Um, and it also reaffirmed, you know, being on the road and making the road and making America your home. Um, even though we have a house, our home is really on the road with the people that we meet. We, we totally affirmed that we will never again be on, you know, what I've, what I've come to refer to as the um, born, pay bills, retire and die track of life. We just, we just can't do that. Um, and at our age, that's pretty scary because, you know, it's not like we have a big nest egg or anything. We have a couple of bikes and a couple of dogs and a big mission. And uh, we think that's enough. It sounds to me like the transformation has been, in a sense, I don't know to call it a shift in priorities or a shift in values, but really a focus on putting more life in your years in, in so many ways. And I just absolutely love that so much. Mm. You know, and, and I'm curious, one of the things that you know, you've mentioned in, in some of the work you've done is an understanding that everyone loves and how that can be a bridge. And I'm curious, you know, especially after the last few years, the divisiveness in the nation has, I don't know if it's been unveiled or stoked or some combination of both, but how can that understanding in some way help us? You know, we've been asked that many times, and I, I think there's. I, I think I would go two different places with that. Number one, we've we've had an experience. We've had the blessing of having the experience of making ourselves the others. Oftentimes, we're we're in situations where you know, if it's a Vietnamese boat building community in Louisiana, or on the Rosebud Reservation in particular, or you know, the art, the Heidelberg Project, our street art project that we did in uh, East Detroit, where we are the only old white people wandering around. And that's an experience that I think when we talk about white privilege in this country, that's an experience that I think a lot of people would change their perspective on when you're the only one that looks the way you do and that acts and speaks the way you do. And, and you're at the social mercy of the people around you, you have a different perspective. Um, so I think part of it is our willingness we need in this country to be willing to be the other and to look at things outside of our own sort of nest and perspective. Um, but again, every, we're storytellers. So everything we do harkens back to a story. The other thing I'd say about it is came from, uh, we interviewed a, a barbershop quartet college in Kentucky called the Kentuckians Chorus. And we're speaking to these fellows and, and their demographics are fairly fairly similar, but their backgrounds, their lifestyles are, are very different. It's a fairly diverse group. And, and we asked one of the fellows there that question, you know, how is it, can we extract, what is it that you can tell us about the way that a barbershop quartet, a barbershop chorus learns to work together that we can kind of extrapolate into America and teach people, you know, what do we take away from what you guys are doing and have people get along based on what you're seeing? And one of the singers stepped forward and he said, well, when a new person comes in here, we're not interested in right away. We're not interested in their background, their story, their ethnicity, their faith. We just want to sing together. And once you start singing together, you find your place with one another, and then you start making friends. And then once you're friends, it's too late. 
And so what we've been trying to do is to get people to see, get Americans to see no matter what our, you know, no matter what boxes we check off on a demographic or diversity quiz, if we can just get to the point of understanding that we have one, the most important and powerful thing in common, everyone loves something, someone, or somewhere. And if you can just acknowledge that in another human being, by that point, it's oftentimes too late because now you have something in common. You know, my mom is a, a, psych, a child psychologist. She, she went from being, maybe I took a page out of her book. She went from being an electrical contractor to a yoga instructor to a child psychologist. And all after she was 50, fabulous role model for me in life. But, you know, my mom was talking about a person that she'd worked with for over 20 years and found out that she was a well, I won't say who, uh, who was a supporter, but you can probably fill in the blanks. She was supporting a, a politician, a political candidate that my mom totally disagreed with. She just was antithetical to the way she sees the world. And oftentimes when we run into that today, there's this, well, I'm going to unfriend them. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. I don't, I don't think, I don't like people that believe that way. And my mom's reaction, and most of us, when someone we know, someone we love does something or says something we don't understand, wasn't to hate them and excommunicate them. It was, I don't understand how she can feel that way. I need to talk to her. And we thought, you know, that's what we're trying to get everybody to do is, I don't understand you. I need to talk to you. And love is the place we can start doing that. Oh, man. That is so Oh, man. Cool. Okay, let's write that song. <laughs> How do we, this, seriously, Scott, I mean, this is, I, I so, you, you just, you absolutely, you know, rung my bell with, uh, with we just want to sing together. And, and it's like you're saying, once you have connected on that vibrational core level being, uh, it's too late. We're already connected. You've already you've already sung the song. You're already in the same chorus. You're already you know. And we actually just learned a cool thing the other day. Uh, the 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 eardrums are actually directly connected. They bypass the brain. The eardrums bypass the brain and go directly to every organ in the body through the nervous system. Through the nervous so, system, except the spleen, for whatever yeah. reason. You know that, that that's what they they found out. So we are vibrationally wired together through sound. That that makes total sense. You know, it's when I was teaching because I, I was an English teacher for 24 years as well. And when I would teach young writers, one of the things I would always tell them is when you're writing, especially if you're writing a story, if you want to bring people in to a story, you don't describe based on how something looks because we don't live where we see, we live where we experience. And your experience is, is, a mix of all of the different senses that you have. I said, if you want, if you want to draw people into a scene, describe how it sounds, describe the feel on your skin. But more important, if you want to make people remember or recall, describe the smells because the sense of smell is the one that's closest, most closely related to memory. That, that's why if you're going to describe Christmas, you need to start with the pine boughs and the, you know, I, and I told the kids, I said, you know, the difference between the smell of the linens at your different grandparents' house. Tell me you don't. And, it, and it's amazing what better writers that made. So when, when I get back into them again, I'm going to, because I still do some consulting work for teaching. Um, I'll make sure and pass that little tidbit along about sound. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah, man. it Thank was you. just really profound. And to know how deeply tribal so much music is, it's one of the oldest 
things, you know, storytelling and music. Those are, you know, the two oldest things that have made humans, humans around a campfire, you know? Yeah. It's funny you should say that. Cause I was just thinking about a, a thought experiment of, you know, get five people together, give four of them drums and have them start playing and give the fifth one a drum and see if they can resist. <laughs> you know, wasn't it um, Robin Williams character in the dead poet society did something like that. Didn't he? He had them all walking around in a circle and it was kind of fascinating to see. that. There was so much in that movie. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, it's been so long. Yeah. And I'm going to have to rewatch it. That is one again. That's one to watch every year. I I, I tell myself that every time I see it and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dead Poet Society. Yay, Robin. I think for Robin Williams, that one and what dreams may come. I think if, if you needed if you needed to know what what life and being human was all about, those those two movies could pretty much do it for you. <laughs> pretty much. They, yeah. they break you wide open. Those ought to be them. annual annual just, events. Maybe yeah. those are holiday. We should have those like, you know, create some kind of a of a holiday syndrome. Robin packet, Williams you know? holiday. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there we go. You know? okay. <laughs> nice. I'm in. I'm in. Let me know where and when. All right. All right. And and I'm serious, Scott, about writing a song. We got to write that song. What did it, what was uh, it's about singing? Sing. Yeah, there was. Uh, OK, just singing together. But anyway, whatever yeah. that topic was a minute ago. Well, you know, oh. I'm I'm really curious. You know, you've had so many encounters on the road and so many experiences and clearly life changing. But is there one that stands out to you as the most profoundly touching in some way and and if so in what way in addition to the horses and the lakota you know that that (laughs) obviously was that's huge yeah um well i you know i we get asked this question often and if you'll bear with me i'll try to make each as succinct succinct as i can but there really are three and for very different reasons um, one comes from that visit on, on the, um, the Lakota reservoir on the Rosebud reservation from uh, our last journey. And that was, um, the place after we took our Harleys in places where no Harley was ever designed to go. I dropped mine in a mud bog and we had to have it pulled out and we're literally riding across fields, the Sundance grounds outside of a, uh, a little settlement on in the middle of the reservation and uh, we left all of our cameras and all of our electronics and stuff behind of course because anglos with cameras in the middle of the reservation are not it's it's not taken kindly to there's um there's a term for what you know white folks with cameras on the reservation are trying to do is called poverty porn and it's it's deeply resented on the reservation. We totally understand that. Um, and so we were accepted into to actually invited to support the Sundance, which was a, a rare uh, honor. And while we were awaiting that, we were served the most wonderful chili stew um, under a little lean-to. The only other angle there, it's enormous buffalo headdress on and long hair. It looked like, I think we'd run into him before as a van lifer somewhere in the U.S. He looked really familiar. Um, But he was serving us the stew, and uh, he told us this story of the last visitor that they'd had um, was another photographer, a journalist that had come. And, and one of the elders uh, from the little settlement was there and was praying in the morning. And the man asked him what the prayer was about. And he was told that it was a, it was a prayer welcoming the rains that, that might come that day. 
um, and for the new day. And at noon, there was another prayer, and he asked, felt this fellow asked the elder what that prayer was about, and he said, "It's a it's a thank you for the rains that would replenish the streams and the lakes and and nurture life and the fish." And at the end of the day was another prayer, and he asked what that prayer was about, and the elder said, "It was a thank you for all the rains that came today." And this fellow looked at him and he said, you know, so many of the prayers that you have and the songs that you have are about rain. And this elder looked at him and he said, that's because we pray for the things that we need, that we want, that we long for. That's why your people's prayers are so often about love. Here, we have plenty of that. We need rain. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was just a profound way of looking at, you know, welcoming, but looking at different cultures and saying, you know, here's something that we understand about one another, or the way that we understand you. One of the other ones was much more. So, so, so let's, let's, let's take a quick pause here. Yeah, that, cause that, and, 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 um, and very much, <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah. And, and there's a whole, we need to do the song about that as well. I, I'm, I need to start a list of all the songs we need to. So anyway, but we need to take a quick short break. Uh, But before we go, for our wonderful listeners, remember that your voice matters. Please rate and review the show and what you're listening to on your favorite platform right now. And feel free to email us as well. Let us know directly. And we've got this really awesome, cool email address to use, which is share the love at rise and shine as one.com. That's share the love at rise and shine as the number one.com. And right after the break, we get to hear Ages, a song Scott wrote for Tony a few years ago and is now the theme song to their show, Love in America. It's performed by Scott and Ironwood Rain, and it's definitely one you're going to want to hear. So stay tuned right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In our changing world, how can you protect the self-esteem, confidence, and dreams of the children you love in just five minutes a day, even from a distance? To learn more about Uncle Mark's best indie book award-winning kids book, his music, and resources to support families, visit TrueSunbeam.com. And if you're an author or musician with a similar mission, learn how to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. Visit Uncle Mark at truesunbeam.com. Are you a woman who's tired of staying silent and people-pleasing at the expense of your own health, wealth, and happiness? Discover the roadmap to self-confidence and freedom in Lorianne Rising's international award-winning book, You, Rising, Reclaim Your Life. Live your purpose. And if you're an author whose nonfiction or memoir makes a powerful difference, you're invited to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. For books, resources, and show details, visit LorianneRising.com. of a life run through the stages that me and you have shared and read the lines in our fine play the glory of a life with you the ages that we passed through each gave us their own signs to light our way 
Our ages make grand debut each day And I'm still loving you through ages in our time That is to say Young love brought us to a stage Where twenty seemed like our middle ages Thirties kids' life kept turning pages Decade four and we're still engaging Our passion play will come off stage one David LBT's new backstage I love you for all ages You're listening to Rise and Shine, and that was Ages by Scott Burns and Ironwood Rain. You can find it and download it on his website at www.loveinamerica.us. And we are here with Scott Burns, and we were just talking about your most profound stories, and uh, you had gotten through a couple of them, and I'm well, I we just, heard one. Uh, I'm I'm I just so stoked. Yeah, I just have to say, Scott, you are. This is you're describing uh, my my dream here. You know, I mean, I've I've been across the states on on a motorcycle and uh, a couple of times, and and just it was it just felt tragic to have to basically have an agenda of getting across and getting into a destination. And not being able to just stop and connect and experience along the way more than I was able to, and uh, and so yeah, and, and it's it's a profound experience. You know, this um, we we talked a little, we touched a little bit earlier on, you know, how how do we go about loving, you know, not just Americans but America? Is this become this is a, a particularly 
dark crossroads in our country in many ways. And it's hard to look at America sometimes and say, I love her. But that's because we're looking at the institutions and the government and the politicians and the media. When you, we go out across America and we meet the people, it, it reaffirms your faith in, in what this country can be at her best. Um, because when it is really we the people and it's, you know, and you get to know people and you get to see them, and you get to live with them and be the other sometimes, you realize that we still have the potential to be, you know, what, what I think it was Ronald Reagan called the last greatest hope of humanity. Um, it's still there. Um, one of the couples that really represented that to us, you were asking for, you know, these, uh, what the stories that really struck us or touched us personally. We stopped at an Airbnb in, um, can I say that on air? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many people I need to pitch here. <laughs> uh, one of those places you stop that can get online that you can line up. But, yeah, yeah, right, right. We're, we're, we're with you. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, we our hosts were a couple in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Dan and Wendy, and and we came to find out after we'd been there for overnight. Um, Dan had two weeks previous to us stopping, just been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's following an automobile accident that was revealed in a brain scan that he'd had to have. Well, Wendy had taken on uh, the reason their Airbnb being their house, they were broke. They were destitute. They were facing, you know, an uncertain future with this medical diagnosis, the bills coming in, they were Airbnb being the house. Wendy's sister had just passed away from Alzheimer's the previous year. Uh, you know, he was, Dan was a con in construction his whole life, you know, ambitious, go-getter, hard worker, their whole lives all of a sudden turned up on end and Wendy being faced with being all of a sudden the matriarch of this family caring for Dan and, and the grief from her sister and all of the kids in the family coming to her for help, trying to maintain the mortgage payments, all the things that came along with this. And we, when we asked them, one of the questions we asked couples around the United States isn't what's your secret, but why them? Why of all the people in the world that you could have offered to share your life with, why this person without using the word love, how come you love them? What is it about them? Wendy looked at Dan and she said, in the midst of all this turmoil in her life, she looked at him and she said, because you're the strongest person I've ever known. And, it and we realized that she wasn't drawing strength from Dan. She was drawing inner strength because he was with her. And so when we, when we look at people and we say, you know, they're in love or, you know, they've become one or, you know, they're sharing this life together. No, we, we become more of who we are because we're sharing who we are with someone else. We don't, we don't take love from them. You can't give love to anyone. You can share what you already, what is within you. Um, and so that message from them was, was really profound. The other one I would mention is, is when we started to realize what kind of power this work had to dispel the, the loneliness and isolation and, and sort of separation between Americans that we see, you know, when we're on the road and, you know, we certainly see in the media, uh, the couple I mentioned to you earlier, Pastor Rick Hale and his wife, Mary, the megachurch builders in, in Roswell, New Mexico, if you checked off their demographic boxes, you'd find, you know, white upper, upper middle class, fairly well-to-do, conservative, uh, evangelical Christian, you know, all those sort of 
stereotypical boxes. Super gracious people, really nice to us. You know, invited us in in our dirty biker leathers to sit on the blue velvet carpet and asking questions about love. Um, but two weeks later, we rode um, down through the Gulf Coast and back up the East Coast, and we're in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and we came across another couple, um, Greta and Donna, who it, you can check all the opposite boxes from Pastor Rick and Mary Hale. They were uh, mixed race. Uh, uh, lesbian couple, separated in age by 15 years, lower middle class, raising a Down syndrome son together. And we had asked both of these couples the same question, what, what we called the uh, keystone question. So what's the foundation stone? Not the secret, but if you had to say, you know, what's one thing, one, one element without which your relationship wouldn't be what it is and people wouldn't see it the way it is, what do you think that would be? Both of them said, we want our lives to be examples for others. We don't want to proselytize. We don't want to tell people how to live their lives. But if the ways that we're living our lives can allow people to see the happiness that we have and maybe be a guidepost for them, the answers to these two interviews were so incredibly similar from these two couples that could not have been more different from one another. And we couldn't help but think, you know, if these two couples met each other on the street, would there be a place where they would realize how much was really important in their lives they had in common? And that's when we realized we could be that bridge. When, when people come to us and they hear these stories and they see these people, they can realize the most important thing, you know, Martin Luther King is kind of an icon for us because he was a man that knew a thing or two about love. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about what he called emotional bosh. I'm talking about the guiding principle, the underlying foundation that the, he called it the, the Hindu, Islamic, Christian, Buddhist, atheist, fundamental stone that builds all of our lives together, the core of what we are. Um, where do we have an opportunity to find that in one another, to see that love isn't emotional bosh, it isn't a fairy tale, it isn't attachment to one another. It's the thing that binds us all together. And so those three stories, and the reason I bring them all together is because it's a way of seeing our place in the world, our place with one another as couples and in relationships, and our relationships to one another through, through cultures and why, why that diversity is so important, but also sometimes so difficult to bridge. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is just I, I'm sort of profoundly... picturing how profound it would be as an episode to juxtapose. Juxtap I can't say the word. You know what it is. You're an English teacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to juxtapose. To show, to show one as compared to the other. Right. To put those two <laughs> couples. I'm glad I let you two do that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I was an English Ooh. major, too, right. and a longtime editor. And it's just mm -hmm. I, there's a reason I write. I Not don't me. usually speak. <laughs> but anyway, just one episode, you know, those two interviews back and forth with such oh. different couples so that the audience can catch that mm. as well. That that is it's the same conversation that is on the editing slate, even as we speak. Way That's cool. Sweet. Awesome. OK, now, awesome. hey, let me be uh, play devil's advocate here. And, and for all the people who uh, see this idea of traveling across the country on a motorcycle thinking, oh, my gosh, that's got to be so dangerous. You must have had to deal with all kinds of crazies. And and what, what sort of uh, are there stories from that side that you would have that 
were you able to shine a light into some of those places or what sort of experiences did you have that, that uh, would have, would have given you another perspective perhaps on the country? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think you actually had several questions in there. Writing wise, I think um, a couple of things, Tony, one of the, the first year we were out, well, actually the first year we were sort of training to be out, she dropped uh, one of our old bikes on a mountain highway in Colorado and ended up um, slammed up against the concrete embankment um, at the side of a mountain. And her her ankle bent at a 90 degree angle. And, and I, I put my bike down and went running back to where she was. And she reached down and popped her ankle back into place. And I thought well, I could have gone my whole life without seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> and turned turned out she did that because she she was probably in shock. But she said, "I liked those boots, and I didn't want them to cut those off." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and and then she realized she realized that her shoulder hurt, so she pulls her leather jacket down to make sure that the tattoo of an otter that she just got on her shoulder was okay. She's got a broken collarbone, but she was she's worried about her tattoo, and so that one cost her. Um, she's got a a plate and eight screws and several, you know, obviously several weeks recovery. So, and then uh, last, last venture out, we were heading across the Tennessee river and I had a guy on a blind corner um, texting, which is by far and more, more than drunk drivers, texting drivers are by far the biggest danger to motorcyclists on the road. Um, came all the way across the highway and almost had, I, I put my bike 45 degree angle at 50 miles an hour in a skid um, into the shoulder of the road to keep from having this guy hit me head on. And so there are, there are some challenges to, but you know, one of the things we call, Tony and I call it the dance because we've ridden, including love in America. We've, we've, I'm sure ridden six figures of miles across the United States, maybe seven. Um, and we've gotten so attuned to one another, you know, hand signals, motions, knowing what lines, what, what mo lines of motion to cross. Um, we've ridden big cities and deserts and highways and mountains and every different coasts. And we've gotten pretty good at looking out for each other and, and knowing, you know, how to signal each other and stay out of the way. And so the writing challenges we've, we've kind of learned to deal with. The personal challenges are sometimes a little more difficult. Um, Tony, being in her leathers, has inspired some particularly misogynistic vitriol from a couple of groups around the United States. Um, there was... Uh, uh, one group of the, they call themselves black Hebrew Israelites um, that we ran into in Nashville uh, who, who are militantly misogynistic anyway, and, and took a, an extreme dislike to Tony accompanying me, especially dressed in her black leathers and stuff. And she blew a bubble with her bubble gum and kept on walking down the road. She didn't really care one way or the other. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my girl. Um, so, so there, you know, yeah, there have been some personal challenges um, and, you know, some, some equipment and, and road challenges that we faced, but, you know, and, and storms that we've had to ride both metaphorically and for real. It's a couple of funny stories in there, but what part of life, especially if, you know, you're willing to take risks to get something more out of life, there's a reason they call it risk. You know, there's, there's a chance things are going to go south sometimes, you know, you're, you're going to drop your bike once in a while, you're going to face somebody that doesn't understand what you're doing. 
um, those are just ways that, you know, we, we take from those things, they become part of our story and they become part of your character as you go. You know, the, the alternative is to, you know, what <laughs> sit on the couch and watch reruns. Well, no, it's, a, it, it's like you're saying, it's about having that bigger why about what, what your life is about. And I just, I am just so impressed and so honor the, the two of you for the work that you're doing. And so, so, I, but I don't think there can be enough conversations about love. And I think we like the Lakota example with having the descriptions of the different kinds of love that we experience uh, d- described in their language. I mean, I, I, we really have to write that song. Okay, so that 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 number one. But so, but what other what other kinds of love have you encountered in your journeys? Well, it, it's funny you'd ask because were either of you when you were young? Well, maybe you still do. When you were younger, are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, the game D and D? Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay, there's there's a there's a way of describing the alignment, the sort of philosophical alignment of characters in Dungeons and Dragons. It's a combination of they call it chaos, neutral, and law, and good, neutral, and evil. So I guess the pole the the polarity would be you have lawful good, and then all the sort of different combinations of those things you can have until you get all the way down to uh, chaotic evil. Well, we've kind of come to see. A, a parallel. We call the stories that we chase the kinds of love that we find around the United States loves of place, purpose, and one another. Um, and then when I combined that after we talked to Greg and I thought, well, what other culture has you know these more specific ways of describing love, of of naming it? Um, and that's you know I realized well the Greeks had you know the philia, eros, agape, and storge, the uh, you know the romantic love, the brotherly or empathic love, the god you know, the unconditional godlike love. I thought, you know, you could put those things together and almost find this sort of, you know, D&D sort of alignment for love. And when I thought, I started playing with it when I knew we were coming on with you guys. And I thought, well, just at random, agape and place. So a love of place and an unconditional, a godlike love of place. And the story that came to mind was the fellow by the name of Jim Colley. And we, we call Jim the Star Trek Elvis. Jim is the the foremost Elvis impersonator in the United States. He lives in Ticonderoga, New York, um, and he's fabulous. You know, I always think Elvis impersonator, I always think, you know, a cheap leisure suit and, you know, party favors and stuff. But this guy is world class actor, performer, and you think you're watching Elvis. Well, Jim also was an assistant costume designer on the Star Trek The Next Generation series and is a major Trekkie, major Trek fan. Wow, there's a combo. Yeah, I know. And so him, both things that he loves. So it was kind of a love of, of purpose, a love of the things that we do. But Jim is an enamored with the town of Ticonderoga. And so him and some of his friends in the town started, they wanted to make fan films, Star Trek fan films. And in doing so, they started recreating basic sets and little props and stuff. Well, this grew over a period of 10 years, as most things will, until now, Jim owns the Star Trek original series set tour, which is in a converted grocery store in the middle of Ticonderoga, New York. CBS Studios, Desilu Studios gave him the original blueprints for the Star Trek original series, and he's recreated the entire set the whole Star Trek Enterprise in loving detail that you can tour through. And while we were there interviewing him, William Shatner's agent called to get permission to lead tours for the 10th anniversary. 
And so Jim's taking all of the money that he makes from his Elvis gig and from these Star Trek tours and meeting Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig and, and Patrick Stewart and all these people that he's taking all this and funneling it back into the town. So when he's not being Elvis and he's not leading tours through the Starship Enterprise, he's out back pulling weeds and, show, and, and sweeping the sidewalk because he loves this town. It's an unconditional love of place. Wow. And then, you know, I thought, well, let's pick a couple more philia and purpose you know philia the sort of empathic brotherly sort of love where we get the word philadelphia from and a love of purpose so wanting to bring people in and share the love that you have for what you do and the first person that came to mind was a fellow named don aslett don is a He's, he was 80 years old at the time we met him. I don't know if Don's still around because it's been four or five years ago, but he runs uh, the Museum of Clean in Pocatello, Idaho. Don was uh, kind of a celebrity in the late 50s and early 60s. He's on the old Dick Cavett show and Johnny Carson. And Don's claim to fame was he developed toilet cleaning products and kitchen cleaning products, and then started writing books about keeping your house clean and housewives and housework is kind of dated. Um, but just now he is the second sell second top selling author in Idaho behind Rudyard Kipling. Um, and he runs when we saw this ad for the Museum of Clean, we thought, well, that'll be kind of fun and kitschy. And we love that sort of roadside attraction stuff. And we got there. It's a seven. It's a seven floor multimillion dollar museum devoted to Don's love of cleaning one floor of just the history of vacuum cleaners, including one that's drawn by horses and is about the size of half of a semi truck. Oh, <laughs> my. Oh. Oh my gosh. Um, he's got an art gallery. He runs, um, he sponsors the um, uh, Pinewood Derby for the local scouts in the place and, and teaches, you know, he teaches, he's got this, the original space toilet from the space shuttle in there, which he's very proud of. You know, but Don, he, he was still leading tours through the place and, and trying to jog, even though he, he once dropped his entire case of cleaning supplies on his leg and broke it in three places and then drove 500 miles to Denver to talk about cleaning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he still he still works in the place and leads tours personally because he wants every kid that comes through the place to see that clean to him was was not just cleaning your house. It was the agency to having a clean life and a clean spirit and, and a clean language and clean relationships with people. And so his his love of purpose was touching, deeply touching the people around him. And what's that? What's that third one? What's that third one? You're you're. We only have like a minute or two yeah, left. Yeah, we, <laughs> oh, that third story? Okay. I, I think, oh, I don't know. I think I gave you three. Philia, Eros, Agape, and Storge. Okay, okay. Gotcha. I, I, no, that's I, perfect. I thought there was, oh, goodness. <laughs> that is so cool, types though, of having, love. having I, such clear examples of how deep love for whether it's a thing or a person or a place or a, a purpose can just it radiates out is what it sounds it, infectious. like infectious well it's it's absolutely that would be the kind of thing to be infected by
And that's why we have to chuckle a little bit when um, people that aren't familiar with our work, they just kind of get a superficial overview, which I know you guys have. And I really appreciate you digging into the stories and kind of getting to know us a little bit before we came on. But oftentimes people that are less familiar with our work ask us those secrets questions. You know, what's the secret? What's the 10 easy steps? And we say, you know, there is a really simple answer because what you're basically asking us is what's the meaning of life and how do I love? And there's a really simple answer to those questions. You get to choose. You get to choose. But the process, yeah, and, and the but the actual implementation of that and, and accomplishing it, there's nothing necessarily easy about because it's it's a constant thing. No, <laughs> that's why the an- the answer is easy, but the answering is the difficult part. <laughs> There you go. So on that note, on that note, we're going to set up this as the the introduction to the next show. And we're going to get together with you and Tony on round two. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. Well, she's she's the fun one. We are (laughs) so, so blessed to have you guys here and uh, and looking at looking forward to the next round. We love telling stories and sharing love. So thanks for thanks for the invitation. Oh, my thank you. And I want to make sure we remind listeners of your website address. And if there's something in particular available there, they can find or you, you want them to focus on what what might that be? It is triple W, of course, loveinamerica.us. And you can find uh, links to our videos and our movies and our Patreon site. If you want to support our work, we'd certainly, certainly appreciate that too. Oh my Absolutely. goodness. Absolutely. Man. Well, we'll look forward to more updates and, uh, and our next get together. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much, Scott. Wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And to our listeners, remember that Mark and I are on a mission to help make the world a better place and to uplift voices that are not typically heard. So if you or someone you know is an author, a musician, innovator, or even a comedian whose perspective and message challenges old paradigms to open hearts and minds, please reach out. We want to support you by helping you be seen and heard by a worldwide audience. Just visit us at riseandshineasone.com to apply to be a guest. And before you go, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your favorite platform. And remember, until next time, wherever you are, there's always time for remembering to rise and shine. Take care. Thank you for listening to Rise and Shine. Please join Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead for another great show next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, keep rising and shining. Sound of the joy, sound of the love, sound of the life. Sound of the joy, sound of the love, sound of the life.